0: If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it to Luke chapter 4. That's where we'll begin. If you don't, uh, there's one in the pew back in front of you. The verses will always be up on the screen. And as you find your way there, I just want to encourage us all. There's a lot of times, and and I'm guilty of this, that, you know, we'll open the Word of God and we'll read it or we'll hear it. And we'll just kind of allow it to just kind of scoot over our heads instead of truly listening to the Word of the Lord. And so as we read this morning, let us listen and let us hear the living word of God, the powerful word of God. So hopefully you found Luke chapter 4, and we're going to start reading in verse 1. <clears throat> it says this, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, it departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Join me in prayer. Father, it is so good to be in your house, with your church, with your people proclaiming your name, your, your wonderful name, Lord. It was so good to, to hear the voices singing out your great name, Jesus. And so, Lord, this morning as we hear your word and as we're challenged by your word, Lord, may you speak to our hearts. May our ears listen and our hearts hear. And may we leave this place changed because we know we've been in your presence. We glorify your holy name. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. What was one of the most stressful things about school for you? I know some of you have to go like way back to remember, right? But what was one of the most stressful things? Was it just going, right? Dealing with peer pressure and all that kind of stuff, or, or was it tests? For, for me, it was tests, right? And, and especially band tests, all right? Yes, I was a band geek, right? Do they still call them band geeks? You're, maybe, all right, whatever, right? I was a band geek, right? I played the French horn. I loved every second of it, except for when Dr. Dunlap would call out, Jonathan, I need you to play from measure this to measure this. And we just have to play, right? Whether it's good or bad. Or the worst was when he said, I need you to play this scale. And I was just like, well, here we go. Here's a scale, right? (laughs) Don't remember. Don't know if that's the one you wanted, but here's a scale. Um, But our teacher would just call us out and it was the worst. But what I know about those tests is that they quickly displayed what I knew, and then also what I didn't know. See, tests in general find out what we're made of. Unfortunately, students, kids in the room, tests don't end when school's over. No, we continue to face tests all throughout life. We have marital tests, we have parenting tests, And as we get older, we start having health tests, right? Because every day it seems like, man, what is going on with my body? And we begin to ask, why why do I have this pain? Or what am I going to do with this diagnosis? But like a school test, the tests that we face day in and day out the rest of our lives prove what we know and what we don't know. And it ultimately proves what we are made of. Now, what I mean by that is really what's inside, really who is sitting on the throne of our heart. So two weeks ago, if you were here, we uh, studied and saw and were preached about uh, the baptism of Jesus. And what we saw there was really Jesus' inauguration. It was the proclaiming of Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And now we see in Luke chapter four, Jesus stepping out and facing his test, his first test. Now this test is here to answer the question, is Jesus really the son of God? Is Jesus the real deal? Now let's think about this for a second. Who was the hardest test giving teacher that you had? Right? Everybody can think of that one teacher who was, who, was, who was the worst. Now I want you to multiply that teacher by a billion. Because Jesus' test giver was the devil himself. I mean, we might have thought that teacher was the devil at the time, right? But no, here Jesus' test giver is the devil, the one whose goal, right? The devil's goal is to steal, to kill, and destroy. I hope none of our educators in here, that's their goal, right? (laughs) So two quick questions that we can ask of this text is, why does the devil test Jesus? And then why does God allow Jesus to be tested? Well, the first question, I think the devil actually thinks he has a chance, he has a chance to face Jesus in this weakened state. He's been 40 days without fasting, and it says that he was hungry. I mean, I fast one lunch, and I am hungry, right? But you can imagine Jesus in this weakened state, 40 days without food, and the devil approaches him, and he says, I've got a chance. I've got a chance to harm you. I've got a chance to take you out to destroy your mission, Now, why does God allow this? Because verse 1 says that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit who is God in the wilderness. So Jesus is led by the Spirit to be tempted. Well, why? Now, I would argue that the purpose of this text is to authenticate, or the purpose of this test is to authenticate Jesus as the Messiah, that he really is the son of God, helping us see that he is the son of God. So let's remember back at the baptism of Jesus. When Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. And then a voice came from heaven. And he said, you are my beloved son. So then as we continue on in the text in in Luke, then Luke goes to prove that he is the son of God through the genealogy. And that's what Pastor Derek spoke on last week. So what's happening is here, God is saying, God, God is saying, Jesus, you are my son, beloved. I'm well pleased with you. And then Luke goes on to prove through the genealogy that he is the son of God. And now we get to the text that we're at today. And we see in Luke, in in verse 3, Satan says, so if you are the son of God. Verse 9, if you are the son of God. So let me step back from this for one second. Satan doesn't care if you believe Jesus is a good religious teacher. Satan doesn't care if you believe that he's a miracle worker or that he cares for the poor and the sick and the needy. You can believe in that Jesus, but when we proclaim Jesus as the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world, that's when Satan can't stand it. So this test given by the devil, allowed by God, is to authenticate if Jesus is the Son of God or if he is not the Son of God. So let me ask you this. Has anybody ever failed a test before? Show of hands. Come on, raise them up. Very good, thank you. Right. I have failed so many tests, right? Especially chemistry. But think about Think about the, internal, the eternal significance of this test. This is not Algebra 1. No, this is a test to declare the authenticity of the Son of God. So there's three parts to the test that Jesus faced. Satan takes Jesus to three different places, and he tests him in three different ways. And we're going to kind of look at those really quickly here. It says, the first test that Jesus encounters is a, is a physical temptation, the temptation of immediate gratification. So in verse 3, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. So Remember, he, he came to Jesus at his weakest point. He's fasted for 40 days. He's in the wilderness. No one is around him. He doesn't have family, he doesn't have friends, there's no fellowship. The only person in the desert with Jesus is the devil. So his body is longing for food. And Satan says, "Jesus, if you are the Son of God, you definitely have the power to do what you want. It's not wrong to use your, your power and your strength to turn those stones into bread. Go ahead and do it. Use your power to satisfy yourself. I mean, think about it. Is Satan going, you know, no one's going to see it. No one will ever know. No one's even going to care probably. This temptation is an opportunity for Jesus to define himself. And his mission by the desires of his own flesh. Through his own strength. And I think we all recognize that we see this temptation every day. We are tempted to satisfy our legitimate natural desires above all else. I mean, think about it with me. The world around us. If God is a good God and God loves me and he's allowed me to feel this desire, then surely it is the will of God for me to fulfill my desire. I mean, doesn't God want me to be happy? This is the way we process and the world processes this. You be who you are. You find yourself, go be happy for a change. Whatever it is that you feel, you be you. God wants you to be happy. So do whatever it is that you need to do. Do what you want. And this is a lie from the devil himself. And this is the first thing that Jesus faced. See, Satan wants Jesus to take matters into his own hands and not allow his father to take care of him. This is self-satisfaction. This is immediate gratification. Is there anything wrong with eating bread when you're hungry? The answer to that is no. But there is something wrong when you know that God is the one to provide that. And that you don't wait for it and wait for his timing. And what he has for you. So Jesus' response we see in verse 4. It is written. Man shall not live on bread alone. Jesus knows his mission, and he knows that there's more to life than meeting his own needs and his own wants and his own desires. See, Jesus is choosing to trust God to provide for him what is needed. He's saying in response that I'm not going to live by your words, Satan. I'm not going to live by the desires of my flesh. And that's not how I'm going to define myself. The image of Jesus fasting for 40 days can take us back to the image of in the Old Testament, where the people of Israel were in the desert for 40 years. And that's what Jesus is quoting here back to Satan is Deuteronomy chapter eight. It was a test for Israel to see if they would keep God's commandments And we all know that Israel could not, but Jesus did. And because of that, we see that Jesus is the faithful son of God. The second temptation is a temptation of self gratification or self glorification, sorry. Satan now recognizes that Jesus is going to stay true to his mission, stay true to why the father sent him to earth. He recognizes that Jesus came for a purpose. So Satan is, is, is basically saying, Jesus, you came to receive praise. You came to receive the praise of the world. And, and I can give you that. I can give you a crown without suffering. I can give you a crown without the cross. Look in verse 5. And the devil took him up and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. So just as I said, Satan is saying to Jesus, we can do away with the suffering. You don't have to go through the sorrow Right now, you can have all of the kingdoms of the world if you just worship me. This temptation isn't a physical temptation. No, it's a spiritual one. It's it's a spiritual temptation to take shortcuts. And see, Jesus answered him there in verse eight. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Now, Jesus knows that it's meaningless to have the worship and the praise of the nations of the world if he receives them in any other way than the way that God has planned for him. And we can so easily fall into this temptation of of a shortcut because we don't like suffering. We don't like it when life gets hard. We don't want trouble or hard times. It's February 4th, right? Who all made uh, New Year's resolutions? Who all decided to not make a New Year's resolution because you know you never go through? Yeah, right? It's hard, right? And let me poke a little bit. Maybe you started a Bible reading plan at the new year. How's that going? It's hard. It's difficult. We want everything to be easy and Satan's offering this to Jesus. He says, just worship me. That's it. But as we consider ourselves, we even want our time with the Lord to be easy. We don't wanna commit our time or our finances or our worship to him. Time for Sunday school, as Jeremy pointed out. Time for each other, the church, the body of Christ. We find it so difficult to prioritize. Him over everything else. You've probably had this thought and I know I have this thought a lot. I think about heaven and I think about when I step into heaven and the thing that I hate most about this thought that I have is I I step into heaven and I go, God, I wish I would have known. I wish I would have known it was gonna be this amazing that it was gonna be this great. Because I would have lived my life so much differently here on earth. I hate that thought. But here's the thing. We've been given everything that we need to know. We've been given it all. To know that Jesus is the faithful son of God. We've been given everything that we need to know about the greatness of God. And we're even told here by Jesus through his example, worship the Lord your God. In him only shall we serve. So it challenges me to do the daily work of following Jesus, of picking up my cross. I want to follow him closely. I want to love him. I want to take his word and worship him and live for him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love others as I love myself. But it's hard. And we don't like hard because it's easier to worship the things that we like. It's easier to give my money towards something for myself, for a better car or bigger house or more stuff, all those things that I worship. Those things I worship other than God alone. The final temptation that we see in in the wilderness this, this, this final test is Satan tempting Jesus to test God. So in verse nine, it says that he took him up to Jerusalem and has set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. Satan, once again, trying to invalidate the fact that Jesus is the son of God. So if you are the son of God, And then check this out. Satan sees that Christ is only answering with the word of God. So Satan says, you know what? I can play that game too. I know the word of God. Satan says, throw yourself off. For it is written, (laughs) Jesus, try to answer this one back. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. Not only that, but I've got this one too. On their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. This final temptation is a temptation of self-fulfillment. Satan says to Jesus, if if you jump, look what's going to happen. Then all these people will see these angels fly in and come and protect you. And then once you're protected, they'll know and they'll see the holy realms of God come in and protect you. And you will be called Messiah and you will become the savior of Israel. So, Jesus, let's see if God will keep his promises to you. Test the will of God and put him to the test. Jump, and we'll see if God is always faithful to his promises. What Satan is tempting Jesus to do is to take God's word and twist it in a way that will benefit him so that it would give him his best life now. Let's look at Jesus' answer. Verse 12, he answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. What Jesus is saying back to Satan, who is trying to use scripture to test God, he's saying, Satan, you're missing the point of scripture. The point of scripture is not about God proving himself to me. It's about me honoring what God has said about me and living out his will for my life it's not about using scripture to protect me. I will remain faithful. I will not test God. That was Christ's response. See, it's tempting for all of us to test God. I even heard it on a show that I was watching the other day. You know, if there is a holy God out there, then he will show favor upon us. If you are really God, then you'll make sure that I stay healthy. You will keep my marriage together. If you are really God, if you're really a God who is a loving God, then you will make sure that I have a spouse, that you will give me the money that I need. We begin to use God's word as as an opportunity to rub the genie out and say, God, do this for me. If you are God, then you will make this happen. We test him. But church, God doesn't need to prove himself because he is God. He is God. Who am I to say? Who are you to say that? God, you need to do this for me. Jesus says, you're not to put the Lord your God to the test. Now there's so much that we can take away from this section of scripture. And I'm sure there's so many ways that you've heard it proclaimed throughout your years. Ways that you can take Scripture and fight off the temptations of the evil one, right? And and we can we can challenge ourselves to memorize Scripture so that when temptation comes, we can just spit out that Scripture and it's going to protect us. Those are all great uh, passages, great ways to take away um, this Scripture and apply it to our lives today. But I think there's a greater purpose for this passage for us today. And the question we must ask ourselves is, who do we say Jesus is? Jesus himself asked the question of Peter, and we must ask that question of ourselves today. I mean, how many people consider Jesus as simply a handyman? Seeing Jesus as this quick fix solution to a problem, we'll just go to him and he will will take care of all my problems. Or maybe an EMT, somebody ready to be brought in when I've exhausted all of the the resources that I have, all the strength that I have, this EMT will come in and and rescue me. Or a pharmacist, Jesus, simply the pharmacist who will come and give you this healing balm and, and place it on all of your hurting pains. Or maybe as one of my favorite seminary professors says, we simply see Jesus as a mascot, standing on the sidelines, cheering us on saying, good job, keep going in this game of life. Rah, rah, rah. These are very limited views of Christ. All of them have elements of truth. Jesus is available in emergencies. He can transform life situations. He can cure, he can train, he can inspire. But in our passage today, what we learn is he passed the test. He did what we cannot do on ourselves, proving that he is the son of God. He's the one we should look to. The problem with these limited views of Jesus, the handyman, the EMT, the pharmacist, the mascot, is they cause us to test God. They cause us to question God. They cause us to replace God with our own strengths and resources. So what do we do? What do we do? We look to Jesus. The faithfulness of Jesus means that we have all that we need. Let that sink in. The faithfulness of Jesus means that we have all that we need. Remember, what do tests show about us? What are the life tests that we we face? What do they show about us? They show what we know. They, they show what we believe and ultimately they show who sits on the throne of our heart. So when the tests of life come, put your hope in the faithfulness of Jesus. Put your hope in the faithfulness of Jesus because think about it. We have everything that we need in him. Nothing else matters. There's nothing more important because everything we need is because of him. So therefore, the car you drive, the house you live in, the clothes you wear, the amount of money in your retirement, the school that you go to, the teachers that give you tests is all because of him and for him. There's nothing more important. There's nothing more important than knowing Jesus. So how do I know that? How do I know that Jesus provides everything that I need? Well, it's because in my process of growing in the knowledge of who Jesus is, I begin to see Jesus, how Paul describes Jesus as the son of God. Listen with me here in Colossians chapter one, starting in verse 15. Listen how Paul describes Jesus. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation for by him, listen, All things were created. Your car, your house, bank accounts. All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for what? For him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. All things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. So that's Paul's definition of Christ. But let's continue because now Paul speaks to his audience. He speaks to you and me and he says, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, you are separated from God. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Jesus did all this to do what? To hold us up holy and blameless before a holy God who we have no reason or purpose to stand before. Jesus allows that. So what do we do? What's our response from this morning? How do we respond back to God in, in, in his Son, Jesus, we worship him. We pursue him. We find everything we need in him. We live for him. We take every opportunity to be with him and to be with his people and to be with his church. And we grow in him and we daily wake up, roll over, put our feet on the floor and we look to Jesus as the son of God. And when we do that, when we do that, that changes the way that we worship him. Our worship becomes more rich, it becomes more meaningful. When we look to Jesus as the son of God, then we hunger and we thirst for righteousness and a decaying culture. When we look to Jesus as the son of God, then we're inspired to reach and to serve the poor and to raise godly children and to set biblical priorities in our spending and in our life and we perform excellence in our school and in our jobs. And when we look to Jesus as the Son of God, daily we are filled with an everlasting hope We're filled with an everlasting hope even in the midst of the darkest moments of our life. Church, there is nothing better than Jesus. Period. Period. So let us pursue him above everything else. Pray with me.